You're listening to Beyond the Plate with Andrew Kaplan. That sounds so weird. You're listening to Beyond the Plate with Cappy. If we can find a person that walks through a busy dining room at Shake Shack and sees like a napkin on the floor and they're compelled to pick it up and throw it away, that's the guy we want on our team. Like though that person is like got heart and soul and that's what our company's built off of. Hey everyone, this is Cappy and you're listening to Beyond the Plate, a podcast where I sit down in person with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the industry and the social impact they have made in their community. Every episode, we share inspiring stories of what it means to be in today's hospitality industry. This episode was recorded live from the 17th Annual Food Network and Cooking Channel South Beach Wine and Food Festival. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. Martin's Potato Rolls are the number one branded hamburger bun in America, and as I like to say, they can make almost any burger taste better. They happen to be the bun used on one of my favorite burgers in the country, Shake Shack. And I also had a delicious burger that used their Big Marty bun, which is their slightly larger sesame seed bun at a restaurant in Chicago called The Loyalist. It was a delicious burger. Anyhow, Martins believes in giving back to their community. They support hundreds of charitable organizations such as food banks, after-school programs, disaster relief, and others. To learn more about Martins, please visit their website at potatorolls.com or follow them on social media at Potato Rolls. Martins, we thank you. Okay, back to it. For this episode, we sat with Chef Mark Rosati of famed Shake Shack. I'm first going to read you his real bio that was passed to me, and then I'm just going to go off the cuff for a little bit. Mark Rosati joined the Shake Shack team at the original Madison Square Park location as a manager in the summer of 2007. Since then, Mark has gone on to help develop permanent menu items and local seasonal specials for Shake Shack locations throughout the United States and abroad. Prior to joining Shake Shack, Mark cooked at New York City's Gramercy Tavern from 2005 to 2007. He grew up in Stonington, Connecticut, where at an early age, he enjoyed many of the state's legendary roadside seafood and burger shacks. Mark was named the culinary director of Shake Shack in 2013. Here's what's up. Mark Rosati is an incredible chef. At last count, there was about 168 Shake Shack locations. We hear some awesome stories about the growth of Shake Shack. Mark is a perfectionist, and we get a great story about their fried chicken sandwich. That's a personal story, actually. This guy's a food fanatic. He travels a ton for work. I'm going to suggest you follow him on social media, on Instagram, at Mark underscore Rosati. You will not be disappointed. He is the co-author of the Shake Shack book. We hear some incredible stories in this episode, Danny Meyer-related stories, lessons about Shake Shack, lessons in the business, words of wisdom, and we hear some great social impact stories as well and what Shake Shack did for Madison Square Park and the Madison Square Park Conservancy because they actually helped revitalize that park in New York City. It's a great story. I'll stop there, but please enjoy this conversation as we go beyond the plate with Shake Shack's own Mark Rosati. Saw you scooping concretes last night at the Burger Bash. Oh, yeah. That was delicious, dude. Just watching you, like the perfect, everything you do is so meticulous in a consistent way. Like the perfect scoop with that rum, what was it? Was it vanilla custard? Yeah, vanilla custard, rum caramel, and then we had a crumble graham crackers on top, almost like a blanket, so it looked like the sand of the beach. Yes, and you were <laughs> describing that to me, and as you described it, like you were shaking the graham on it, and yeah. I was like, oh my God, that looks like sand being like taken over, like on this bed of like, like it was like 
wet. It was like water on wet sand. It was, I don't know. It was incredible. <laughs> we don't get too high concept, but for us, that's like, that's fun. I mean, it was it's delicious. Just, cooking burgers on the beach, you have to celebrate. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I had one I had one burger, and then I started eating that, and R-E-P, Ian, he's like, wait, we're really eating custard right now? We haven't like really had any burgers. I'm like, trust <laughs> me, dude, just go go get this. It makes the burger more delicious because you kind of spike it with sugar, You're and right. then the salt comes in with the burger. <laughs> ah, so good. I read that you've created over 320 flavors of custard for your custard calendar? It's been a lot. I've been on the job for 11 years, and when I first started with Shake Shack, we really we had a kind of a, a, a stagnant menu in a way. Like we had created it a few years prior and it was doing really well. So the idea was if it's not broken, don't touch it. And uh, I just couldn't help playing with the food when I got the job because I came from like the fine dining world. I like to mix around and my bosses took no and they're like, ah, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, you keep doing that. Like kind of present us some ideas and maybe we change a flavor here and there. And uh, that's how it started. And like, they were really excited to kind of take everything we've done in the past. Like it was always super comfort flavors like mint chip and right. fluffernutter. And now we're starting to do stuff like uh, more Green Mark inspired, like uh, rhubarb rose or something like that, or uh, even like raspberry jalapeno and just trying different stuff. And then maybe updating a classic, like a, instead of salted caramel, maybe salted caramel pretzel. And that's how it all starts. We've done lots of riffs. I love it. Do you have a favorite? There's either like an answer or there's yeah. like five. You know what? There's the one that comes to mind because... I did not know what to do with this one. Danny Meyer, founder of the company, he's always traveling and like giving us inspiration. And he was in Spain one time. And out of nowhere, I get a text and it says, Mark, I just had this amazing uh, raspberry fromage blanc. Um, it was like a, uh, a sherbet. He's like, mind blown. He's like, I don't know what you can do with that. I don't know if there's anything whatsoever that can be applied to Shake Shack. Hope all is well. And that was it. And when you get those little notes from Danny, they're usually pretty right on. Totally. So I went at it for a while and I came up with a raspberry fromage blanc frozen custard where it was swirls of raspberry puree in fromage blanc. And I'm like, you know, some people are going to get fromage blanc. It'll be a, a decent seller, but yeah, you know, it's not going to be, it's not going to be salty caramel. Boy, was I wrong. People loved it. People loved it. And people were writing in when we took it off. We did it like in uh, July usually. People would write, well, you got to bring that back. That's my favorite flavor. It's, it's sweet, but tangy and tart. We sold so much of that. And I love the flavor personally. I just didn't think it had like mass appeal, but boy, was I wrong. That's so funny. That sounds delicious. Yeah. <laughs> so morning after Burger Bash, I love going to your booth. I say to everyone, and I don't know if I've explained this yet. I don't think I have on an episode, but when I go to Burger Bash, and I think you and I take uh, a similar approach to this, when we do our rounds, I take a bite, and if something's like super delicious, I'll take another bite. But yeah. if it's like not incredible, I don't need to take another bite. Yep. But then I always end my explanation with, but I always go back to Shake Shack. Oh, because, that's good to hear. <laughs> because like... <laughs> I, always, I, I don't go to I don't go to a booth that like I've had. I'm like, okay, I've had that. I don't want to waste a, a couple bites of this night on it. Yeah. But I always, always, always wind up coming back to you all. <laughs> so I want to know, because I tell everyone, and I was telling, you know, the folks who work with me on this podcast, I'm like, the, you guys create something new for the event that eventually may go on your menu or just hit a menu or something like that. So can you tell us what burger you served last night? Yeah, we were playing around with something different. It's kind of a riff off on, uh, we started doing a few barbecue inspired items uh, about a year ago. So this is like the evolution of it. Pardon me. 
It was a smoked cheddar cheeseburger, crispy bacon, our shack barbecue sauce, which is a blend of kind of uh, like tangy uh, Carolina style with mustard and vinegar. And then also Memphis kind of sweet and sticky mixed together, like kind of like one of my favorite. Like, Brilliant. Like ketchup and mustard yeah. and maybe mayonnaise, another good burger sauce. So kind of like a, an evolution. And then we also had some pickles on there too. So a lot of classic kind of barbecue flavors. And uh, I really enjoyed it. But the funny thing was there were so many barbecue heavy hitters in that room last night. I had Billy Durney of Hometown Barbecue in New York City stop by and try it. I had Chris Lilly stop by of Big Bob Gibson's. And I'm like, oh, God, of all the nights, <laughs> these guys have to come by when I'm doing like a barbecue inspired burger. But that was it. So it was kind of an evolution of stuff we've done in the past. But we kind of like those barbecue flavors. So How many did you guys pump out? We pumped out 1,500. And they probably all, the consistency you maintain is incredible. I know I went up to take a burger and you were in mid-conversation with someone <laughs> and I saw you like peek over and I had to like, sh- I had to show you my burger to make sure it was, you know, in good shape, which yeah. it was. Oh, great. Clearly. My question for you, what makes a perfect burger? You know, I, I, I've always been a purist myself. Um, I think to me... If the bun and the meat itself are really delicious and they can stand on their own, I think you have a great burger already. We spend so much time thinking about our blend, the method for cooking it, and and that was kind of the driver when Shake Shack started. We worked so long on that blend to make sure it was like juicy and flavorful, you know, powerful, but not too rich where you felt weighted down. And after we dialed it all in, we're like, well, now we can't lose this nuance with just any old bun. It's got to be something that's going to cradle the meat, the juice, but not like take away from the flavor, be like way too much texture in your mouth before you get the meat. So we dialed those areas in and I felt proud because I always say like, you can't hide behind anything. You're going to get a purist one day that loves a good burger and he's going to say, no sauce, no cheese. I just want meat and bun. Can you make that taste good? And if you can, you got a great burger. And I think past that, it's really up to you. It's like, you should add your personality. There's so many great burgers, but I'm sure you have something that in your childhood that might be a fond memory, or maybe you just like, you love a certain chili pepper and you want to play, make it a relish or maybe make it a paste and come up with your own burger. I think that's a fun, but no matter what you do, you always want to make sure you taste the bun and the beef and not, not overwhelm that, but just enough to accentuate that. I think you will have like burger friends are going to really dig. Yes. How many Shake Shacks worldwide now? We are up to about 168 or so, that last count. (laughs) It might have have gone up. (laughs) So I don't know what happened uh, over in Asia right now. We might have another one. (laughs) I know, like, I feel like you tried to get to every one for, in the early days for all the openings, but there reached a point where you probably couldn't get to every opening. Yes. Do you know how many, how many have you missed? Ah, that's a very good question. I would say I was very strong for up to about maybe five years ago. Yeah. And then it just, it got so crazy. Was that first one, like when you couldn't make it to that first one, you're like, oh yeah, that one, that one hurt. And (laughs) I was like, and then we opened in an international, we opened in the Middle East. That was our first international like part of the world. And I remember like uh, I had opened Dubai, Kuwait, Qatar, Saudi. I was there for all those openings. And then we started opening a few more in those and I was bummed that I couldn't make it. And I'm like, you know what, though, there, there is this point in our growth where there's going to be a Shake Shack that opens that I won't be there. Um, but I still try to get out to every single city before we open. So I might, um, like this year, we're doing um, Seattle, San Francisco, Nashville. 
I've been to Seattle and San Francisco. I've walked the streets. I've, I've gone to bakeries and met chefs. I try to get my like head wrapped around what makes them really special and awesome. You really immerse yourself in these cities to like sense the, right? To sense the culture or the yeah. food scene. And, but what else beyond that, there's, I feel like yeah. there's a reason. There, there is because we want to make sure when we open that Shake Shack, um, I have a counterpart that does the architecture. So they'll go to the new neighborhood we're going into and try to figure out how to bring like our iconic look, but maybe it's a little more subdued for like say a neighborhood in Boston. And maybe it's a little louder for a neighborhood in like uh, Las Vegas. We've always morphed depending on <clears throat> the neighborhood to make sure that it, it really fits in and feels good. So I try to do the same with the food. Like at the end of the day, I'm just a big food lover. Totally. So if I go to a city. I have hundreds of people that come to me with recommendations for uh, where to eat around the world. And I'm going to give out one of my dirty little secrets right now. Many of my recommendations come from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm glad to help inspire those. Um, <laughs> well, you know what it's like. I mean, when you travel, I mean, that's kind of the excitement. And I've definitely been guilty of going way too food heavy, like on a vacation where like someone's like, did you see the Louvre? I'm like, the what? They're like, it's this big, oh, never mind. I'm like, I went to this great little brasserie. Right. Though. I don't know what the Louvre. I think it's really important for us as we grow to take an interest in the city or neighborhood we're going into, like a very honest one. Like I want to walk the streets and find a bakery that I say to myself, if I lived here, I would come here every morning and get a croissant. And then if I feel that kind of kinship with what they do, I want to feature them on our menu and do something fun together. And I just feel like if we don't take an interest in where we're going into, why would they take an interest in us? Yeah. And that's very important to me. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a message, like a, a consistent message you give when you travel around, like two openings to the like your culinary director for Shake Shack, so is there a message to the kitchen team? I think the most important thing for our kitchen team is we've we've got we've got the actual how to cook a burger down and make a milkshake. We've we've figured that out over the years. We can teach that. We can give training materials, and we can take anyone and make them like a Shake Shack employee and give them like the keys to succeed within our company. The one thing that's super important is that we stress that we hired them for to be themselves. And like, out of all the people we talk to, we look for people that have great hospitality. That's first and foremost. We're looking for a person, not that can smash the best burger again. We'll show them how to do that. That's, that's our thing. But if we can find a person that walks through a busy dining room at Shake Shack and sees like a napkin on the floor and they're compelled to pick it up and throw it away, that's the guy we want on our team. Like though that person is like got heart and soul and that's what our company's built off of. So I stress to those guys, don't forget, like it's, it's, a, it's a hard job working for us and we do have like very exacting specifications, but we also want them to be themselves and we want them to put their personality on the food. Like, you know, when you see someone walking that line, like you see your friends walking that line and you're cooking burgers, you're like, oh man, I'm gonna, I wanna make these guys the best burger ever. So we want them to kind of take pride in their work be themselves. And like the rest is easy because when the guest walks in, sure the food's got to taste good, but if there's an energy in the kitchen and everyone's like has camaraderie working together, the, the guest is going to feel that energy and just feel a little happier. So I think we want them to kind of follow what we do, but also we want them to be themselves and have fun. I think that's what's made us successful. And your, and your consistency is incredible too. I want to say like day after day, but it's almost like burger after burger. Yes. My question is, how do you practice consistency with so many locations around the world? It's, it's really, uh, it started actually when we opened our second location. Actually being here in Miami, 
this is really fun. Was this your first location outside of New York? It was. It was. We opened. This was actually our third Shake Shack ever, and we we were not ready to grow. It was the first restaurant our fine dining company ever opened outside of New York City, and it was a big moment. We really didn't want to do it. We had an amazing opportunity to come, like on the iconic Lincoln Road, this brand new crazy parking structure built by the guys who did the Bird's Nest Stadium in Beijing for the Olympics. it was like a parking garage, like, but the craziest artistic vision. And we're like, this is cool. I think we want to do it. And back when we opened our second location, that was the time where we created all of our training materials. Oh, wow. We sat down. It was a team of four of us. It was me and three other managers. And we just sat there and we're like, here's what a, our burger blend is like. Here's the tools we use to cook it. Here's how you cook it. All this craziness. We tested it when we opened the Upper West Side, which is shack number two in New York City. But when we came down here, that was the real test because no one here that we hired had ever seen a Shake Shack, been to one. That was the first time we actually got to really test our training materials. And that's when we kind of tweaked when we saw what was happening here in Miami. And since then, I think our training materials have not really changed technically but instead of being like a printed piece of paper in black and white, now like we have them online in a Shake Shack portal where the new tire can go in and log in and like read about it, see videos. So when they go to first do it, they have that much more knowledge. Wow. But are that's there, it. It's a lot of training. Do you still, are you still tweaking? Are there still challenges you face with growth in training? Absolutely. I think as we get bigger, we start to see like uh, in the past, I think we would say, okay, so you take the patty and say maybe season it with salt and pepper. And then someone would look at it and go, just dump like two pounds of seasoning <laughs> salt on there. So then we would say, okay, it's actually like X amount of grams. And again, they're looking at the patty. It's going, like literal. What is like this? I don't know how much grams this is. So yeah. then it's like, make, take, it's a half a teaspoon. Like, well, okay, I know what that is. So we, we intuitively think sometimes people would understand what we're saying, but uh, without like figuring out tools to help them get their job done and that's and that's an ongoing thing like i we were we were talking about portioning of our shakes and we thought we had the right device this ice cream scooper and then we're like we think we think someone actually has a better one that they found they're shipping it to us to check out and sure enough when we got it, it was like this is great so we have to rewrite all the training materials to now bring this scoop in but it's just going to make their the team's lives that much easier. It's better portioning. We're always looking for ways of improving because, you're, as you're saying, as we keep growing, especially overseas, where we can't be there all the time to answer questions, we need to give them the tools to make like take the guesswork out of the equation, yeah. and that's an ongoing. Um, it's part. Like, I mean, the attention to detail is crazy. I remember when I was living down here in Miami at hospitality school, a lot of my instructors had been in the industry working with big chains like the Dardens and the Brinkers of the yep. world, and I remember hearing things about like Olive Garden's training manuals uh, yeah. and they're literally like hold box cutter in left hand as you embrace <laughs> yes. the box with your right hand yes. so it doesn't slip on the counter <laughs> and I'm like wait directions for how to open a box but like literally oh, yeah. it's that detail yeah I guess that detail once you embrace that location to location city to city country to country is what makes consistency we also internationally, and which is a big market, I mean, we have a lot of Shake Shacks out there, almost uh, 60, 65 plus. We're, we have an international team, a domestic international team that flies all around the world, more so than I do, that is just with our partners and making sure they have all the support they need. And then we fly them to New York ongoing so they can spend time in the shacks and just make sure like what they're doing, what they're training is uh, very much in line with what we're doing. 
And I think that's a big part. We always have our partners come over at least one time a year. And then some of the people within their team, a lot more so, like the marketing guys, the uh, operation guys. Again, they just come. We'd love to hang with them and just make sure they really are understanding what we do and they don't have any questions. And that's very helpful, too. So it takes a lot of time. But to do that well, we have to now have our own international team that liaises with all the teams across the world. And those guys never sleep. I'm sure. <laughs> do, you, do you have a test kitchen back in New York or are you like doing it out of one of the spots? We have or a, your uh, home kitchen. <laughs> we have, close, we have a little uh, induction burner that has a crack on the top of the surface and that's stacked on top of milk crates. That's that's the test kitchen. Amazing. And I wish I was kidding. No, that's, um, inc- that's incredible. Oh, we, have, we have a little toaster too. And yeah. that, that's worth wonders. Um, but we're actually finally building a real test kitchen. We're opening a Shake Shack uh, in the West Village, and this has been a long time coming. We're moving our corporate offices into the same building, Shake Shack on the ground floor, and then a proper test kitchen below. That's exciting. So for me, this has been like... Will it mimic like a, a kitchen of a Shake Shack or not necessarily? It's going to have some of the equipment, but then we're going to have stuff we've never had before, like, mess with, like really fun toys. Almost like a lab. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's amazing. What I'm most excited about, though, is we're building a room off of it that can hold about maybe 24 to 30 people, depending. We want to do special events out of there too. Nice. Because we were born out of fine dining. We think it'd be fun to invite in some of our fine dining buddies to do these kind of fun dinners that are inspired by American roadside street food and yeah. burgers, but taking their kind of fun knowledge of food and like their beautiful artistry and then saying, you're doing this type of food. That's incredible. So we might have fun. Which is interesting because you came from the fine dining world at Gramercy Tavern and Shake Shack was born out of Union Square Hospitality Group and, and Danny, as you talked about Danny Meyer earlier. Um, but under that Danny Meyer umbrella, are there lessons that you can share that you instill on on others within your organization? There are Literally I'm sure. Thousands. Yeah. <laughs> Again, anytime Danny sends like a quick little text or note or he comes in, like it's. I ah. feel like I feel like every text from him is probably like words of wisdom. Yeah. I'll, okay. I'll say I'll say two stories uh, quickly that that both really uh, I think hit the point home of of where our company's direction is and like his kind of vision for Shake Shack. I remember one time we were having a coffee tasting. We were about to launch uh, a Shake Shack in JFK Airport, New York City. And we wanted to have a breakfast menu because we're like, there's going to be people coming in. So we had so much fun working on uh, that menu. And then we're like, we need killer coffee. Uh, Stumptown Coffee out of uh, Portland, Oregon had just opened a roastery in New York City. And we're like, well, they're always been fun guys to hang out with. Let's have them make a custom coffee for us, our own Shake Shack drip. And we invited the guys in. We had them taste our breakfast sandwiches and some other stuff we were working on. The best line was the guy goes, Okay, okay, this has been a very helpful. I think we get your flavor profiles. Fat and salt. They're like, we can make a bitter coffee, very bitter, and kind of balance out all this. We, we got your back. And I'm like, all right. He's like, let me work on three different variations, and then we'll bring them to you guys to taste. So we had the entire like Shake Shack office and Danny come to this tasting, and these guys made three coffees. Danny had to quickly take a call, so he he took his coffee samples. He went into his room, right? We're all sitting there debating. We're all like, coffee number three, amazing, amazing. It's like, it's so like unique and fun and like it hits you like all the places, but I don't know. I don't know if it's like mainstream enough. Maybe go with number two. It's not quite as exciting, but certainly a crowd pleaser. 
Danny comes in, he's holding his fingers up. He's like, number three, right? Number three. I'm like, yeah, Danny, number three. We all love it. But it's like, you know, number two is like a little more crowd pleasing. It's kind of, you know, like mainstream. Danny's like, when have we ever done anything that's mainstream? He's like, we all love number three and it excites us. Why wouldn't we do it? He goes, the guests are buying into our vision. We're not trying to play to them. It's up to us. He goes, we need to grow this company and make fun food, make it assertive and make it say something. It has to have a statement. If it doesn't give us this emotion that we all felt for three, then why are we talking about two? And he walks out of the room and I almost wanted to be like, Danny Meyer, ladies and gentlemen, Danny Meyer. (laughs) And that was it. He was so right. We were trying to guess what people would like, even though we all loved one. That's something we always talk about to this day. It's like, we have to believe in it ourselves and hopefully our guests will love as much as we do. But we're the ones creating the flavors for Shake Shack and we have fans. We don't want to let them down by saying, eh, we're going to go with something that's like a little bit tepid. We think you guys will like this one. Yeah, it's like, no, they want flavorful food, which is what we do. So I think that was another one of those Danny Meyer like moments where it's like, we have to own the vision, guys. Like, I will never fault you for making a call, but you better believe in what you're doing. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so when, when, Shake Sh- when you guys went public, did that change the approach to things for you or did you continue to operate and open a kitchen how you were? We, we did uh, continue uh, down the same path we were on. And um, a few days before we actually started publicly trade, you know, our CEO, Randy Garuti, and uh, was telling us, he goes, guys, I don't want anything to change here. He goes, my world will change for sure. He's like, but we've been doing something really amazing. And this vision does not change. He goes, we want to we wanna be in this for the long run. We're not going to accelerate growth. We're not going to do uh, all this crazy stuff. You know, he's like, we need to do this the right way, our way. And uh, that's been really true uh, all the way up to this day. I think maybe publicly trade now for three or four years. And like, Randy's vision for Shake Shack, I think, is not change one bit. Again, there's something about the core that we all figured out a while back. There's a famous story about our, us changing to fresh cut fries. Yes. I think those were the early days where we weren't sure who we really were. But there's been such a nice firm uh, line draw on the ground about who we are as a brand. And Randy, Randy is our visionary. And uh, his message is always the same. That's been ever since the fry moment because we really figured out. Can you out, share that story? Yeah, or yeah. The gist of the story. Yeah. So I think the funny thing was we and Shake Shack, you know, freshly ground beef. Like we cut our less tomato fresh every day. We make our custard fresh in house every day. The only thing that wasn't really done like that was our fries. We were buying fry frozen crinkle cut fries, and these weren't anything too special. You could just buy them if you were a restaurant group. It was one of the main fry providers of America. So we loved him, but we always felt, and a few food critics felt, that we could do it better. We were like, you know, you guys are out of fine dining heritage. Why are you making your own fries in-house? So we're like, you know what? We're going to do it. We were actually reviewed in the New York Times. We were given one star, and the critic did say something about it. He goes, you Who know, reviewed you? Uh, Pete Wells. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know if it was, it was or- so It was so awesome, too, because we didn't see that coming. We had opened our, I think, our fifth New York City shack in Brooklyn, and he came in, and he... He liked some things. He called out some inconsistency issues and he called out the fries. And we're like, you know what? This is a lesson. We can do this. He's right. We're going we're gonna to make fresh fries. Mm. So we went down that path. And the one thing we did not realize with all of our experimentation is that the potato is really hard to tame. It is so wild. And when the sugars in a potato get spiked due to, say, cold weather, there's nothing you can do to recede those sugars. There's no way. So when you go to cook a potato with high sugar content, 
it gets it stays limp and burns on the outside because there's so much sugar. It makes horrible French fries. And we were going all over a country working with farmers, working with the supply chain, getting it, say, from the farm to uh, New York City. And there was nothing we could do. Like if, if, the, if the train that had the fries stopped somewhere where it was freezing cold and it wasn't like heated, sugar spike. If it gets to New York and gets put in a refrigerator instead of like out ambient, sugar spike. So at the end of the day, we did this for a year. We roll out the fries and we, we told everyone, this is great. It's freshly made. It's freshly made. The first guy, I kid you not, when we did this, Upper, Upper East Side Shack, we give the guys French fries, first order of the day. He walks up and goes, what the hell are these? Uh, We're like, French fries. They're new and improved and they're better. We're making them in the house. He goes, I want my money back. He's like, where are the crinkle cuts? He's like, these look like crap. <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not, the first guess and like the wind out of our sails. Oh my god! And gosh. we're like, oh my God. But we kept pushing. We kept pushing a whole year and then eventually- A, a year you served him for. We, okay. we did it for a year. We kept getting it and we finally had the moment ourselves and we're like, we're not psyched about these fries anymore. And it was kind of like uh, going to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> I think like Randy admitted it first and Danny like was, oh yeah, I think we messed up. And then we were all like, oh yeah, we gotta, we gotta change. We then brought back our crinkle cut fry and we made it natural. The original one had like all these perfumes and stuff on it, like these compounds to make it taste like a potato. We're like, why can't the French fry just taste like a potato itself? A French, yeah. So we work with the guys to make a fry we were super proud of. We we're like, if we're gonna bring it back, we're gonna bring it back. Just like people remember it, but make it better for you. And when we announced that year that we were bringing back crinkle cut fries, it was just a photo of it on Instagram. And it says, back in all shacks, like November, most like post on Instagram for that entire year. We realized we were doing something that our guests never asked us to do. I love those crinkle cuts. Yeah, too. everyone did. And we realized that's who we are. Pete, there's something about the nostalgia that makes people happy. And that's what Shake Shack means to our fans, which is so much more important than listening to, you know, other people saying, you know, you should do this, you should do this. If it's right for us, we'll do it. But at the end of the day, that was not who we are. And our fans let us know. Yeah. I, I mean, the amount of time you guys spend on, call it innovation, and one of my favorite stories to tell is when you were working on the fried chicken sandwich. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think, I forgot what, I think I was in New York uh, shooting, a sh uh, I was on set with Rachel Ray doing a Food Network show, and I posted something on Instagram, and you texted me, you're like, hey, are you in New York right now? <laughs> and I was like, yes. And you're like... Uh, want to come out to Brooklyn? We're putting the new fried chicken sandwich on the menu. And I was like, I will see you tonight. <laughs> that was <laughs> and awesome. We, we wrapped totally on set that. and I'm like, I'm out. And I never rush <laughs> off set. And everyone's like, where are you going? I'm like, got to run. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, how long? Oh, you were working on that sandwich for like years. Two years. Two years of kind of like really developing it. Um, it, it goes back maybe even further than that, but two years from the point where we started to kind of play around saying, well, what if, what if we add chicken? Because we were heavy in beef, we had a hot dog, uh, we added bacon, but we didn't have another item like a chicken, which is in a way like a blank cabinet. So two years of work from just playing around, there was no pressure, it was nothing like, uh, we need to add this to the menu. It's like, yeah, just kind of see what you can do. So that process was uh, quite... Uh, long and drawn out because we wanted to do it right. We also knew if we did a chicken sandwich, there'd be a lot of people scrutinizing us. And uh, it started off originally as a griddled chicken sandwich, but we didn't want to get uh, raw chicken in the shacks. We did not want to have like some guy grab a bag of 
chicken and throw it on top of a bag of lettuce and then it punctures and like, you know, it's, it's a very scary world and we're, we're more burger guys. So I developed a method where we could sous vide the chicken and get a little fancy here and cook it with like buttermilk and other spices. So it got super tender. So when we go to griddle, it wouldn't dry out. Now, I read an article where Grant Ackett, uh, the chef of Alinny in Chicago, your hometown, was saying his favorite fried chicken, he sous vides like chicken pieces first, then fries them. And I'm like, well, well, I have sous vide chicken right here. I got breast meat. Why don't I try it? So I battered and fried it and was blown away because all that flavor that's going to the chicken through the sous vide method, all that like uh, intense flavor, it's actually more amplified once it's fried because it's there's nowhere for that flavor to go again, just like in the cooking method where when I bit into it, I got even more buttermilk and all the other flavors I had like cooked it in. And I was like, this is absolutely wonderful. And that's when the big moment changed. And uh, we had actually tasted the griddle ones I've been working on. Danny Meyer was at that tasting and we gave out like little comment sheets. When he tasted just the, uh, the sous vide chicken that was griddle with nothing on it, he wrote, Yuck. Because it was like white and like no real sear on it. But but when he tried the chicken sandwich, the fried chicken sandwich, he like lit up. The whole company lit up and we're like, we're going fried chicken. I love that. So that That's was the amazing. way we wanted to do it. But two years to, to do it right. What's the secret to like Danny's success? My God, that's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I guess if we knew the secret to his success, I know, right? everyone would. I can tell you there, he is the most amazing person in this business. I mean, again, he just thinks about this industry in a, in a very forward thinking different way than I do for sure. And he's always like one step ahead of it. And I just, and he's got the most amazing memory too. He remembers everyone. He can walk into the most crowded dining room and know everyone in the room and say something like, how's your mother? Or like, did your son graduate from school? And everyone's like, I haven't seen this guy in seven years. I didn't think he remembered me. I've heard that story from him being in other cities, like saying stuff to a restaurant tour in a restaurant he's eating at. Yeah. Like remembering a conversation from last time he was in that city. <laughs> There's only one Danny Meyer. It's for sure. So but for you from fine dining, fine dining, as we spoke about, and I think you were front of house too, to this roadside-esque burger stand as you know, <laughs> we, you like to call Shake Shack. How would you say your fine dining experience helped with what you're doing today? I think it's helped a lot and also a little bit hindered in the very yeah. beginning because um, I think in the way it's helped is like when we think about the food at Shake Shack, we're really relentless trying out all these different variations, really thinking about like creating a recipe or uh, uh, an item or even a burger build through fine dining. Like one of my favorite burgers on the menu is a smoke shack. It's a yeah. cheeseburger. Uh, double smoked bacon, our shack sauce, which is mayo based on a toasted and butter bun, super rich. And we're adding bacon to this burger. I'm like, that's a really heavy. And I thought about, um, it needs acidity. It needs acidity. And I thought about uh, my childhood. My parents would cook uh, pork chops and throw cherry peppers in the pan. I grew up Italian-American. So yeah. The cherry peppers were always like tangy and bright and vinegary, and they cut through the riches of the pork chop. And it was a bit of an illusion. You're eating a very rich item, but that, that vinegar and that, the heat from the pepper just made it feel light. Um, so that's how I thought about creating the burger. It's like a little geeky in a way where I'm like, okay, I have this element, I have this element. We like to do that all on the back end of any item we create. So that way when the guest gets it, it's just delicious. We never want them to think that there's like people like really thinking this stuff through. Like yeah. it's like, you know, like brain enjoy. surgery. You went from, you use like childhood 
memories to fine dining experience with flavor profiles. All to coming this. back to simple food. Did <laughs> mom and dad both cook? They did. They did. They cooked all the time. And it was funny because I didn't realize how good I had it because like my parents would pack me like a meatball sandwich. <laughs> and only my friends were eating bologna. I'm like, oh, I love bologna too. <laughs> so, but a lot of lessons I look back and it, it came from my childhood, like my parents cooking and also where I grew up in Connecticut where we didn't have burger shacks per se, but we had a lot of seafood shacks. So the idea of this place in the summertime where people can come, you know, get a, uh, a fried cod sandwich or a hot dog or a shake, I totally knew what that was like. So I felt like Shake Shack, it was kind of, uh, kind of in the, in the de- my cards. Are there any off menu items at Shake Shack that I need to know about? <laughs> <laughs> we have done seafood items at Shake Shack. We did a, uh, a lobster, what we call the lobster, the surfing shack. It was lobster marinated in our shack sauce. So using like a mayo-based sauce, a little bit of celery salt, lemon juice, and we just put that on top of a hamburger with lettuce and tomato. So it's kind of like a surf and turf. Yeah. So I, much fun. Boston guy right <laughs> yeah. here. We actually ran that in Boston. Did you? We ran that in New England, and that kind of came from, like, again, me growing up in Connecticut and, like, the e, team. Uh, Ian, our EP, is, like, slowly creeping in on this discussion <laughs> as he's based in Boston. We, we, we had so much fun with that burger, and the best part about it was I remember growing up in Connecticut. We, had, we were in New England, and McDonald's would do their – their lobster roll at my local McDonald's. And like no one else like outside of like New England had seen that. And it's like, but for us, like we saw that every summer. So that was a fun idea to kind of take a lobster based item and serve in New England in the summertime and kind of do like a fun riff on that. And we've done one of my other favorites was uh, buttermilk marinated oysters that we fried and put on top of a cheeseburger with extra shack sauce, almost like getting fried oysters with tartar. You want extra sauce. Oh my gosh. We, we did that <laughs> when we popped up with our friends from 11 Madison Park. They went out to the Hamptons one summer, invite us to come and do a pop-up with them. So we're like, well, let's, let's do something seafood inspired. And that was called the, uh, the oyster shack. And that was another fun, fun item I'm for sure. us. If everyone listening does not follow Mark Rosati on Instagram, you must because he travels the world through food. Can you tell us the last bite that stopped you in your tracks? You know, um, I would actually say it was here recently. Yeah, right off the plane, there's an amazing kind of Cuban-inspired burger shack uh, called El Mago de la Fritas. And uh, I I, I like to hit it every time I I arrive in Miami because it really is like, you know, five-minute drive from the airport and then go into South Beach. They have a a burger on the menu. I think it's called the uh, Confundida. I was talking to these guys because I didn't see on the menu before, but it's something they create. It's a very hearty burger. It's hamburger with a griddled pork, roasted pork shoulder, Swiss cheese. They have this kind of their, their, their secret sauce, which is like a little bit like kind of Thousand Islandy, and then tons of like thinly fried matchstick potatoes on top. And I looked at, and they have something else. I think they put like oil from chorizo on top too. I mean, <laughs> like I took a bite of it. I put it down and go... I'll be damned if that's not delicious. Yeah. <laughs> it was amazing. And that was one of those bites. And like, I really eat burgers these days. Like when I travel, like I'll go to a few places that like I've heard great things about for inspiration, but going to a place like that where they're doing this really unique riff on a hamburger, like, you know, you think you've seen it all. Yeah. Man, that was so exciting, different cool. and new, but I'll yeah. Have to check that out. Social impact and giving back. I feel like Shake Shack does a lot of giving back, whether it's through an event like this that benefits, you know, a school. Is that part of the corporate culture at all? 
It is. It's a big part. And uh, when we think back to the actual starts of Shake Shack, we started out uh, in a very charitable way because oh, right. we opened in Madison Park to help revitalize the park. And the city was our landlord. So percentage of our sales went back to the park to help revitalize it. And that's how we started. We, um, we did that for a few years, actually. And this is, we opened the first Shake Shack in 2004, as we know it today. Three years pr- pr- uh, before that, we were actually a little hot dog cart. And it started off really humble. Um, we were asked to do this because Danny Meyer opened two restaurants right across from Madison Park. He had 11 Madison Park and Tabla, uh, a French-American restaurant with Indian uh, accents. And Danny was kind of bummed. He's like looking out at this beautiful, these restaurants with great food, great wine, great service. And he sees this horrible dilapidated park. He's like, man, that's a bummer where people are going to have this great food and walk out. So he joined a conservancy fund to help revitalize it. And the idea was, uh, as part of it, have more art installations, give people a reason to use the park, and then the, hopefully the bad people will go away. So the first art installation was called I Heart Taxis. Uh, it was an artist from Thailand, and his vision is, I wanna show New York City as a person that has never been here before. He goes, I've been here since then, but as a kid, I'd watch it on TV, I'd see taxi cabs everywhere, and I see hot dog carts everywhere. And that was my vision of New York City before I actually came here. He goes, I wanna take taxi cabs, put them up on stilts, place them all over the park, give you a a chance to kind of find them, and then I need a hot dog cart. He goes, Danny Meyer, you have these restaurants here, would you wanna curate the hot dog cart? And Danny's like, absolutely. So it was a really fun moment for us, and that was it. Kind of started with social That's how we started it, and like we were born out of that park and helping to revitalize it, and since then, we do that with all all of our shacks that we open. There's always a charitable component, a charitable menu item. Uh, It's usually our pie oh my concrete, which is one of our signatures. It's our vanilla frozen custard with a slice of pie. Sometimes we use a local bakery. Sometimes we use uh, our friends in New York City who we've been working with for a long time, 4 and 20 Blackbirds. But that concrete can be found in any Shake Shack here in America, and a percentage of those proceeds go to a local charity in that city. And that's a big part of us. And then past that, um, No Kid Hungry is one of our big uh, charitable uh, partners. We have an annual event called the Great American Shake Sale, based off of their Great American Bake Sale. And uh, what we do is you can come to a Shake Shack, you, you, you give $2 to No Kid Hungry, we give you a free voucher for a shake. And our shake's like $5 and change, so it's a good deal. And you can keep giving, keep giving, we'll keep giving you vouchers, there's no restrictions whatsoever. We've made a lot of money for them over the years and uh, we've done a lot of good, we fed a lot of children with that. And those are just good friends of ours and like whatever we can do to help them, we've done actually local events with them too in different cities. But whatever we can do to tout their message and try to end childhood hunger, is, it's a big deal for us here. So we do it in a lot of different ways, local, big time, but it, we're born out of that whole idea and ideology that's important to that's us. nice. That's great. Let's uh, wrap up with a quick speed round. Okay. What did you have for dinner last night? I had many dinners last <laughs> night as part of the South Beach Food and Wine Festival. The, the most exciting thing was I had a banh mi sandwich that was just so delicious and true to format at a party. Nice. Name a smell in the kitchen you love. Uh, I love it when uh, butter, thyme, and garlic go into a pan to baste meat. 
Name a smell in the kitchen you hate. Uh, probably the, probably something near the dish sink area. There's always something funky going on over there. <laughs> Maybe a mildew smell. <laughs> what pisses you off in the kitchen? I think when someone just doesn't put 100% into it or moves slowly. I love when people move with like, you know, a sense of urgency and like also like they want to bring their best and maybe they get a little beat up if they don't do their best. They just pour their heart out into their work. I love that. If you weren't a chef, what would you be doing? I worked in film and television for a little while previously and uh, I still have so much fun. What I love about Shake Shack is there's a lot of creativity in my job and I think that's where I'm happiest and that's what I loved about film and television, especially TV because... A lot of the shows that I got to work on, they were moving all the time. Like, you know, it was like very topical. What's in the news? Let's create something based off of that. So I love that kind of moving by the seat of my pants. And with Shake Shack, we like to kind of shift and pivot and something happens in the news. Like if someone like wins a Super Bowl, we did something in Philadelphia. We did yeah. a special customer with the local bakery to kind of celebrate the win. Stuff like that's fun. It's like, how can we kind of keep like exceeding our fans' expectations? Awesome. Thanks, dude. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. This is always so fun and uh, great to see you, Dan. I feel like every year it's like, I know I'm going to see you in New York City. I know I'm going to see you here in South Beach for Food and Wine Fest. So I love that. Perfect. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. Quote, the one thing that's super important is that we stress that we hired them to be themselves. We look for people that have great hospitality. That's first and foremost. Thanks again to Mark Rosati. Find more on Shake Shack at ShakeShack.com. Join us next week when Beyond the Plate presents Just the Plate, a short segment where chefs describe a dish or a recipe that is meaningful to them. Mark is not going to tell you how to make a burger, but he has been on a five-year quest to perfect tagliatelle bolognese. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at Odd Cappy's Plate or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on Twitter at BT Plate Podcast and Facebook. Season two of Beyond the Play is presented by Martin's Famous Potato Rolls. Thank you to our partner at IL8 by Flavor Gallery, who supplied all of our signature hats and t-shirts to our Beyond the Plate guests. I will keep teasing this because sooner or later, these will be coming to the IL8 website. This episode was produced by myself, along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yeaton, and Sean Petrosian. Our music has been composed by Goldford. As always, a very special shout out to my wife, Katie. Please rate, review, and or subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, wherever you listen. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy, and remember, there are never too many cooks in the kitchen.